bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. This is Britta Wedeling, Editor-in-Chief at Bits and Pretzels, and you're listening to a new episode of our podcast. Today, we are talking to a dear member of the Bits and Pretzels family, somebody who's regularly rocking the stage with us. Dan Ram, our MC, who is an entrepreneur, a coach, and a master of reinvention and adaptation. So skills you need today during Corona more than ever before. As the son of an Indian diplomat, Dan had to learn quickly how to transition from one country to another, one culture to another, every two to three years, growing up in 10 countries on four continents. And on a professional level, he has advised the national government of Ireland, founded multiple startups, and more recently has found his calling as the MC at more than 100 tech conferences around the world. In this episode of the Bits and Puzzles podcast, Dan Ram will share five practical hacks for navigating change and how to not just survive, but thrive during this transition season. I'd say now is the time to bootstrap, you know, downsize your offices, downsize your resources and just build and create much with it. Hunker down and build. I did not waste time trying to fundraise during the last recession. I did not waste time showing up at networking events. I did not waste time doing all the fluffy entrepreneurial stuff, like trying to be on the cover of a magazine or winning an award or a grant. I just, I just spend time building. Less talk, more creation. In addition to his five hacks, then shares his personal story, which includes hair-rising anecdotes, such as how he survived an attack by a tiger as a kid, and how he grew up creating new homes and new friends for himself as a traveling toddler to a teenager. And we reached Dan in India, 45 minutes from the East Indian metropolis Chennai, in an elephant sanctuary where his parents live and where he spends the time now during the lockdown. Hey Dan, thanks for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast today. Thank you for having me. So obviously you're a master of reinvention and adaptation and you're also a huge part of the Bits and Pretzels family as the MC for a long time. And since we all have to adapt to the current changing times around Corona, Corona crisis, uh, this is what I'd like to talk uh, to you about and how you're holding up to the current situation. Since uh, as an MC of a tech conference, you obviously can't do your regular work uh, right now. So describe us where you are right now. Okay, so first of all, I am neatly tucked away in the middle of an elephant sanctuary in remote southern India. It's beautifully warm, nice blue skies. I'm surrounded by coconut trees and peacocks. And honestly, as far as lockdown scenarios, I think I'm ridiculously blessed. Plus, I have great <laughs> housemates who are my parents. They're the most supporting, oh. loving, kind, generous people. So I'm surrounded by all good vibes, despite the terrible scenario around us. So an elephant sanctuary, how does it look like? Are there like elephants around or like is it like a zoo or what is it? Absolutely not a zoo. This is earmarked uh, as a space for elephants to be truly wild, to be truly in their natural space. And so there is zero interaction 
Uh, there is no bathing of elephants or making elephants paint for you. None of that. These are wild, wild elephants. They do their thing. We do our thing. And there's never any crossover. In five years here, I've never seen them. But the landscape is beautiful because we've got some soft hills. We've got some beautiful greenery and trees all around us. So, yeah. How far away is that from like one of these Indian megacities, um, like Calcutta or, or something, just to give us an idea of where exactly this location is where you are right now? So Chennai would be the closest, biggest capital city close to where we are. Mm -hmm. And that is about a 45-minute flight away from here and would be many, many hours on by road. Okay, and how how many days have you been have you been where you are right now? Lost track. Who even knows what day of the week or the year it is anymore, right? <laughs> so I think it's been about five weeks. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Tell us what what you do all day. Um, you know, as a as a an MC, uh, you you used to go to to you know moderate tech conferences, be on stage all the time. That's such a great question. You know, I think I spent about four hours grieving the loss of my MC life because for anyone who's seen me on stage, you know that I truly love my job. I absolutely <laughs> love being not on stage, but like connecting with people and dancing with people and singing with people and entertaining people, but also educating and showcasing amazing stories and shining the light on amazing people. So I think for about four hours, I, it hit me that I would not be in a plane. I would not be going through an airport. I would not be showing up in a different city every three to four days. And I would not be hosting these conferences. But then, you know, it comes down to this, Britta. It's simple. It's what versus why. It's objectives versus mission. What I did was emceeing. But why was I emceeing? It's because I like helping people to, as my motto says, start now, start simple. The objective mm -hmm. was, for the last two to three years, hosting 100 tech conferences on four continents. That was the objective. But what was the mission? The mission was to inspire people to unblock themselves, to take steps in the right direction and to build solutions for problems that we face around the world. So then the mm -hmm. question was, if I can't do what I used to do, can I still achieve why I was doing it? And so I thought to myself, all right, previously I used to host other people's events and shows like your beautiful stage at Bits and Pretzels, but can I still achieve the why? And the answer was yes. Why not? I just host my own live streams. And every single day for this whole month, I have been hosting billionaire investors like Jeff Hoffman, triple Grammy award winners like Kevin Olushala. I've had wellness coaches, startup coaches, lifestyle coaches, brainstorming coaches. I've had a variety of amazing people on the show simply because I can still achieve my mission, which is to help people to start now, start simple, even in the midst of chaos just from my bedroom, mm -hmm. by live streaming. Mm -hmm. And I would not have realized this opportunity if I wasn't in this chaos. Also, you know, with you guys at Bits and Pretzels in Munich, we have amazing companies. And usually it's a event that hires me and then amazing companies that sponsor or partner with these event companies. And all of a sudden, now that a lot of these events are no more the platform, I have had more Fortune 500 companies engage with me directly in the last few weeks to host their virtual conferences than ever before. And so the why is still being achieved. I'm still able to help people start now, start simple, although in a brand new way. So it's 
I mean, it's interesting that you talk about unblock opportunities and unblock things in people. So you would say that the whole Corona crisis kind of unblocked something in you and made you do this pivot to, to virtual events, you would say? Absolutely. I mean, we are all guilty of enjoying the comfort zone. And I love what I used to do before. And I don't mm -hmm. think I would have volunteered to try something new when I had something great happening. And now right. that the great had to end, I had to engage with the new. And, that, and through that, I found some new passions. It's really interesting because it's actually what many entrepreneurs have to do right now, right? You know, you have a product, maybe you're a travel company, which you can't, you know, do anymore because nobody's traveling or you are an event company and you have to, you know, pivot and come up with new products or new business ideas because you obviously can't do physical events. I think this is true for many entrepreneurs in the startup world right now. And, you know, the question always is, How do you do this? How do you find the courage to, to make this pivot? Can you share a little bit about, you know, your experience in this regard? Absolutely. Look, adapting is not easy and pivoting is not easy. It comes with a fair amount of risk. It comes with a fair amount of testing your own boundaries. But all I can say as an economist, so I graduated from Yale University and I studied econ economics. I didn't study how to pronounce that word, but I studied economics. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but what one of the main themes of that at the basic level is this idea of opportunity cost. You know, what is the other opportunity that lies in every decision? And so mm -hmm. for me, one of the things that really stood out was, okay, if you can't do plan A, what's plan B, what's plan C, what's plan D, what's plan E, what's plan F, and keep going. And now is a great time to try plan B, C, D, E, and F, because what do you have to lose? So if you're a travel company that can't help people travel anymore, now is the amazing time that you can figure out, okay, part of travel is logistics. Can you use the same infrastructure and systems that you've built around logistics for something else? Like, why not take that same system and help figure out how we can get masks to hospitals? If you are a delivery company. So here in India, Amazon has been stopped. Okay. So, okay. Why? Our lockdown is very severe here in India. So everything is shut down, but Amazon mm -hmm. has incredible systems as far as warehouses go, as far as couriers go, as far as delivery systems go, as far as authentication goes. So why could they not just figure out how they can use that for medicine deliveries or for mm -hmm. essentials that we need right now. So this is plan B, C, and D. Because I realized this is not Amazon's. I mean, Amazon's job is not health services. I realized that a travel company startup is not necessarily delivering masks, but that's mm -hmm. plan B, C, D, and E. So that's all I say is like calculate the opportunity costs and try the things that you wouldn't normally dare to try. This is the gift of this opportunity, is to do what you wouldn't normally do. Interesting. So, so you mentioned that the lockdown is way worse where you are in India. So, so how does the situation look like? And what's the perspective of, you know, for, for Indian people of when everything is going to be back to normal? I don't really enjoy speculating and trying to figure out the future when there's so many uncertainties. And I really enjoyed an interview that you did with Matthias Khanna, the ex-FBI mm -hmm. negotiator. And one of the tips that he gave that really stood with me is focus on the near short term and make decisions accordingly. And I would say, look, here in India, they decided to be very strict about it. And I appreciate that because our 
mortality rate is so low. I mean, we hardly have hundreds of deaths when there are countries with mm -hmm. a fraction of our population that have thousands, if not tens of thousands of deaths. There is a flip side to it. You know, our, I guess, freedom of movement has been severely curtailed. And even small things like having a good internet supply and having a good microphone for this podcast right. has been limited. But, you right. know, on the other hand, I'm glad that we're able to sacrifice so that the majority of people are safe. But like I said, mm -hmm. I, I don't spend too much time thinking about when will life come back to normal? What will be the normal? Should we even go back to the normal? Those are things that at the right time will become the important questions. Right now, the question is, what do we do with the now? What do we do with the present? I will let the philosophers mm -hmm. figure out <laughs> what, what the future holds. But right now, I know there are people that are unemployed that need to figure out revenue streams. Right now, I know there are mm -hmm. people that can't do their day job that are thinking, how do I upskill? What are the new skills of the future that I need to learn? That's the stuff I'm excited mm. about. So, so I think everybody's expecting that things will get worse before they will get better, specifically from an economic perspective. I think it's really a severe time. Angela Merkel, our chancellor here, talked about the, a recession that will be, you know, the worst since uh, World War II. So how should entrepreneurs think? You, you mentioned it, there's a lot of opportunities, right? But how should entrepreneurs think... Uh, think about the, the situation, where should they start? Uh, how should they start uh, specifically talking about like early stage entrepreneurs? It's, I mean, for, for companies who are well-funded, they would just like slide through the crisis, hopefully, but there are many entrepreneurs out there in our community who just started their product. You probably just build a team. How should they think about the situation? And what does it like from your perspective as somebody who's seen many entrepreneurs, many tech conferences, like kind of, it's kind of an international animal, um, you know, talking to many people. How, how should they think about it? Excellent. Let's get really practical. And I'm going to talk from my own life experience because two of my past startups were built in the last recession. So 2011 and 12, once I had graduated from my MBA at Trinity College in Dublin, we were in the midst of a terrible crisis in Ireland. Terrible crisis. Some of the highest unemployment rates ever. And despite having two degrees and a mm -hmm. great resume, working for the UN, working for World Vision, working for KPMG, I could not get a job for months leading into years. For two years, I was unemployed. And that's when I started building my businesses. So I'm going to talk from my own personal experiences here. I guess five thoughts for entrepreneurs. Number one, start because you have the gift of time. There are no competing interests. You can always mm -hmm. argue, should I get a job with a safe revenue or should I get, you know, start mm -hmm. my business? Should I go for higher education? But right now that option is gone. So you have the gift of time. Just start. That's the first thing. Don't overthink it. Just begin. Start now and start simple. Start with the resources you have and start with the idea right now, because there will be opportunities for you to pivot. There will be opportunities for you to modify. There will be opportunities for you to drop the idea and work on another one, but just begin. Number two, hunker down and build. I did not waste time trying to fundraise during the last recession. I did not waste time showing up at networking events. I did not waste time doing all the fluffy entrepreneurial stuff, like trying to be on the cover of a magazine or winning an award or a grant. I just, <laughs> I just spend time building. Less talk, more creation. That's the second thing. The third thing, one of the great things is 
<laughs> it's, I'm sorry to say it, but people are cheap now, right? So I was able to bring onto my board of advisors people that would not have otherwise associated with me because they would have been impossible to reach or work with. I also was able to hire people that I could not mm-hmm. afford outside of a recession. So one of the things is everybody's costs go down during a recession. And so it's mm-hmm. a great time to bring on your to build your board of advisors and to build your team because you can finally associate and connect with people that you would have only dreamt of previously. Fourth, one of the nice things about a recession is there's no pressure on cash flow. And especially right now, nobody's expecting you to be making millions. There is not an investor that is looking at anybody's budgets or anybody's cash flow and going, how can you 10 X's? How do you, can you 20 X's? So this mm-hmm. is a great time to really focus on what does your product do? Can it do it to the best of its ability? Can you innovate? Can you be creative? Can you differentiate? These are the things to be focusing on right now, not the cash flow. And number five, bootstrap. I think the mark of a great entrepreneur is someone that can do much with little. And I personally have been really frustrated with the startup bubble in the last couple of years where investors are just throwing stupid money at stupid ideas. And companies exist simply because they were good at fundraising, not because they were building great products. And I think mm-hmm. one of the gifts of a recession is it actually separates the real entrepreneurs that can figure out how to have incredible return on investment with very little than those who are just very good at pitching and fundraising. So I'd say now it's the time to bootstrap, you know, downsize your offices, downsize your resources and just build and create much with it. So those are some quick tips for entrepreneurs. It's interesting because everybody is expecting a consolidation in the, in the startup world. What do you think are the signs of the companies that will survive this crisis? What should they have within the team or within the leadership that will make them survive this crisis? You know, I honestly think it's about what we're talking about today, which is adapting and pivoting. It really depends on the industry. I'm not going to throw out like trends Mm. or verticals or technologies. We used to do that before, right? (laughs) We'd be like, you know, Mm. AI and robots are going to replace everybody in the future. Now we realize that a virus has made more people unemployed than robots have. Uh, And that's the reality of it. So Hmm. I I don't think that is interesting. Of what we need to discuss now. I, I, I think what we need is people that are open-minded, people who are willing to dare to think differently, people that are able to build in the short term while positioning for the long term, because we really don't know what world we're going to inherit. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know how it's going to be. And so what you need is our people that are willing to think expansively while still building in the short term. And that's a hard combination of, you know, here's our sprint Mm. for the next six or seven days. Here's our objectives for next seven days. And at the same time go, does this open us up for possible opportunities in the future without being able to define when the future begins? So what is like the most important thing to consider when you have to deal with a situation with many uncertainties and many things up in the air? How do you set your path? Uh, how do you adjust your path? And what I think is always important for me, um, you know, it's like talking to other people, talking to 
you know, to advisors, get like as much input as you can, which is probably also, you know, one of the reasons why I became a journalist myself. Yeah. So how do you stay ahead when you don't know what's ahead? Right. So right. I think one of the things that really stood out to me in this process is you can't change the situation, but you can change how you respond to the situation. So my whole focus has been not on the coronavirus or the vaccines or what President Trump is saying or the numbers of deaths or confirmed cases. My focus has been on my response to my team. How can I be a great CEO to my staff who are equally concerned about the situation? How can I signal positivity and hope to the larger community when people are feeling hurt, when people are feeling ostracized, marginalized, forgotten, lonely? And so I've been hyper-focused on my response to myself as well as to my community. So that's the first thing. So how I'm dealing with the situation and this uncertainties is not dealing with the situation and the uncertainties, but rather my mm -hmm. response to them. And the second thing, I actually like your answer, Britta. I, I think it's really important that you have a good group of friends, that you have a personal board of advisors, that you surround yourself with great people, that you ask questions, that you seek uh, solutions or ideas in small things and big things. You know, I'm using this time to focus on my branding among many other projects. Mm -hmm. And yesterday I redid my logo and I sent it out to 20 of my friends. And it was so great to talk about something that was not, oh, did you hear what Switzerland did? Oh, did you hear what Burkina Faso is doing? You know, it's just like, let's talk about this logo for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I would say have mm -hmm. a good group of people around where you can just talk essentially normal life while being aware that we're living in very unnormal situations, but it's okay to try to create normal conversation as well. How do you adapt to a new situation without losing yourself um, and still be authentic in, in the situation? What's wrong with losing yourself? I say, go ahead and lose yourself. You know, there's a poet and musician, Leonard Cohen, and in his song Anthem, he sings, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. It's where the light gets in. I think when you lose yourself is when you break yourself, but it is in our brokenness, not in spite of our brokenness, that we discover what's possible. So I say, go ahead, lose yourself, be broken. It's okay, because then the light will get in and you will find new aspects of yourself. I realize that's a little bit philosophical, so let me get practical about this. It is. <laughs> so let's, let's get practical about this. I was uh, 13 to 15 when I lived in Zimbabwe. And in that school, I had the blessing of an incredible jazz quartet where I played the saxophone, a high school orchestra where I played the piano. I had innumerable options and opportunities to sing and to perform on the guitar and bass through my church. I had such an exciting time in my music world. And then mm -hmm. I went to Morocco at the age of 16 and they had no music program, no music teacher, no choir teacher, no music in the school. And I was broken and a big part of my identity was lost. But I then tried to start teaching my friends how to play because I wanted some people to jam with. And so I started teaching teachers. I started teaching students. And before I knew it, 
over a period of a year, year and a half, I was able to train enough people that we put on our own concert and we performed on stage together. But if I wasn't broken from the experience of having something and then losing it, I would have never discovered that I enjoy teaching as much as I enjoy performing. So even now, I love being on stage and being a communicator, but I equally enjoy coaching people how to communicate. But I wouldn't have known that unless I was broken in that. So I'd say lose yourself. Mm. Be broken. You'll discover things. So since we already moved over to the more personal part, I want to move over to our beer garden bench to get a little more, even a little more personal, which of course in these times is a virtual beer garden bench. And since we, since you are in India and I'm here in Germany, it's obviously a virtual beer garden bench. So you've got to imagine that there's just a, you know, bunch of Bavarian beer, uh, a beer stain right in front of you. That so is no we can I don't like this imagination <laughs> game. Come on. <laughs> so we can we can toast to each other and um you know uh have to say cheers cheers <laughs> so you 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 grew up as as the son of an indian uh, diplomat tell us a, a little you know of what that looked like uh, what countries you went to and how many you know state receptions you had to go to and how it was generally to like grow up in this environment yeah Yeah, thank you. That is that's a good question. And it's one I've talked about and it's a really big question. Let's start with the easy part. So where all did I grow up? I was born in Abu Dhabi in United Arab Emirates. I moved to mm-hmm. Yemen where I have no recollection because I was there from the age of zero to two. I was briefly in India for about, I think, a year. And then we moved to France. It was my first time in Europe. And that's where I started school. So my youngest days, I knew Tamil, which was my mother tongue in India, as well as a very thick French accent on my very limited English. So this American sounding person was not <laughs> who was born. I had a French accented, broken English wow. when I was a kid. And then from there, we moved to Algeria in North Africa. And we were there in 1993 in the midst of a civil war. So my mother, my sister and I were evacuated while my father remained. And we went back to Abu Dhabi, uh, UAE, where my mother's side of the family live. I was there for a year. And then I moved for the first time ever to India that I can remember cognitively as a child. And so from the ages of 10 to 12, in middle school, essentially, I was in India. It was the worst years of my life. I only then realized that even though I represented India, even though I was the son of an Indian diplomat, I absolutely was not Indian. It is only when I returned to my quote-unquote home that I realized it was not my home. Then from there, I moved to Zimbabwe in Southern Africa, where some of my greatest stories are of being attacked by wild lions and, you know, really growing up as a teenage boy. And then from Zimbabwe, I moved to Morocco, again in Northern Africa, in order to finish school. And then I moved to the U.S. for the first time in my life at the age of 18. So even though I come across as American and sound American, I was only 18 when I went to the U.S. I went to Yale University for four years, studied economics. I moved to Indonesia for my first job working for the U.N. I was there for a year Went back to India on a little bit of a soul-searching mission, realized for the last time that absolutely I would never really feel like I belonged in this country. I celebrated. I love the diversity of it, but I do not embody uh-huh. 
the crux of what it is to be Indian. And then I moved to Ireland, which is country number 10, right. if I think it's correctly. Uh, this should be 10, and that's why I lived the longest in my life. Eight years of my life, I did my MBA, I built my first few startups there, I did some amazing jobs, you know, as a advisor to the Irish national government uh, on entrepreneurship policy, having a radio show, lecturing in the universities, a variety of stuff. And then right. for the last two years, I have been a nomad living nowhere. Right. So you mentioned that you, that your father was a diplomat. What position exactly was he in and what was his job, basically? So in India, you're not appointed as a ambassador to a country like some countries do. In India, you are a career diplomat. So my father would have gone up the ladder like every other diplomat in India. And he would have started at the bottom and moved up all the way to the top, being an ambassador in some of those countries. And his job would have essentially involved... One, reporting what is happening politically, economically, socially in a country. And second, building the connection between the two countries. And so you asked earlier about state receptions, of which I've certainly attended many. But our home was essentially Indian property in these different countries. And so we would host, say, the cricket team or we'd host ministers. We'd host any delegations from different parts of the world. And so it was really A, a vibrant, vibrant childhood, not just for the experiences and the exposure in different cultures mm -hmm. in a world before Google Maps could show you what a place looked like or before Instagram would show you photos of the place. Like we would just show up and experience it. But right. also our home, the very place that we lived in was so vibrant from dance recitals to acrobatics to fancy, you know, six course meals with the creme de la creme of society and everything in between. So you mentioned that you had to move a lot and that you, you know, started to, to be a musician and then you had to move again and then you became a teacher and that you, you know, for a long time didn't have this American accent and, you know, weren't like an American. So how would you describe, you know, where you are from right now? today? I don't. I don't think I peg myself to any nationality or any singular way of thinking. I think uh -huh. part of being a diplomat is being open-minded and seeing the same situation from different perspectives. But I also really celebrate my tribe. So although I don't have a country or a nationality associate with, or even a political agenda, I associate with my tribe. And I think my tribe are people that believe in a better world, that believe in their contribution in building that better world and believe in the power of starting now and starting simple with whatever they have. And whenever I meet those people at tech conferences, at universities, uh, online, I feel like we're family. And I think that's why I spend so much time mm -hmm. at conferences because we all have that same ethos and that energy and that vibrancy for life. And so that's, that's really where I'm from is these groups of people, possibly many that are listening on the podcast and are identifying with the three pillars I just shared and going, that's me. Well, we're family. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you become an MC after all? Oh, by accident. It really was not on purpose. I did not study communications. There is no school or college for MCing. Uh, a lot of my <laughs> yeah. life has been not linear. Right, right from my childhood, there was no like clear strategy to what country we went to or what continent we lived in. There was no 
uh, constant upgrade from like a small apartment to a big sprawling Victorian house. It was always a little to the left, a little to the right, sometimes forward, a few times backwards. And that's how we navigated life. And I think my professional career mm-hmm. has been similar. I, you know, did some work with a big four, KPMG. I did some work with the UN, a humanitarian agency. I did some work with an NGO. I did some work with the government. I did some work with a corporate. I did some work with private equity. I did some work in the startup world. But in all of that, I started discovering who I was because it's only when you step out of your boundaries and your borders, your boxes and your stereotypes that you really discover your difference. And so I appreciate all those past experiences. They were certainly versions of myself, but I think emceeing is the fullest version of myself. And it was in that process of trial and error, zigzagging, a little bit like how you'd sail a boat as opposed to using a motorboat, that I discovered Hmm. my passion for emceeing. Uh, Practically, what that looked like was that I was hosting, sorry, I was pitching for one of my startups in a competition at the Web Summit, which was being held in Dublin at that point. And although we didn't win the competition, the stage manager called me back the next year going, Dan, your idea was okay, although you didn't win, but your stage presence was excellent. Would you come back, since you're familiar with the stage, would you come back and host the stage? And I remember asking her, what does that mean? What is hosting? And she said, essentially, introduce the next speaker and do some audience engagement. That's Mm Britain has been the only formal training I have had in my life on emceeing. Uh, everything else has just been this incredible journey of showing up on a stage, trying stuff and learning stuff. And now, what, 220 events later, I'm at the stage that I am. But it really was by accident. It really was through trial and error. It really was through giving my best in every opportunity, but always looking for more. And I feel like I've discovered that yeah. more. Interesting. Maybe that's exactly what we need in this time of crisis. This kind of idea of zigzagging and you know not going not going straight forward, but trying new things, trying new versions of ourselves that we have the opportunity uh, to do right now. So thanks for sharing these insights. Coming to the last part of our interview, which is our either or game, uh, and uh, this is how it works. I give you two words. You have to choose one and explain why you made that choice. Okay. And the first question always is bits or pretzels? <laughs> pretzels. I love food. <laughs> talking or listening? Oh, listening. Because talking is only repeating what you already know, but listening is when you can acquire new knowledge. Small town or mega city? Mega city for work, small town for holidaying. I kind of picked both. I'm so sorry. Follow or lead? Oh, lead. I'm a terrible follower. Dreamer or realist? Realist. I am absolutely a realist. I'll add the word optimistic realist, but I'm very much a realist. Chaos or order? Order, 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 order. I actually thrive in chaos, but I don't like it. <laughs> like I can have, as we did on stage, all my equipment fall off my belt while I'm trying to kick a ball into the audience or a speaker who we shall not name uh, that you know of um, that does not want to come on stage when they have to be brought on. Right. So I can thrive in chaos, but I don't like it. I like order. I like when things go really well. <laughs> I, I exactly know what speaker you're talking of. Uh, uh-huh. Conquer or compromise? I would say conquer. Has anyone picked the word compromise? 
I mean, who wants to compromise? I want to win, conquer all the way. Dan, thanks for coming uh, on the Bits and Pieces podcast. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and hopefully see you soon on stage again. Yes, I thank you also for bringing me on the beautiful virtual uh, lunch that we had at Bits and Pretzels. I love this podcast. I love that you keep creating content and value for this planet and for entrepreneurs out there. I hope we can engage in more virtual stuff, but I also cannot wait for all of us to be at the Oktoberfest or at the Mess of München ICM and enjoying physical experiences together as well. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Don't miss the next episode of this podcast and subscribe to our media newsletter at bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Stay safe and see you next Wednesday.